Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Good to see you. Glad that you're here with us. We are journeying through the writings of Luke, so the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and we've been studying the topic of prayer. And today we're going to study prayers for healing. Prayers for healing, which is kind of a sensitive uh, subject, I think. And especially if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're really praying that God would heal someone. Or maybe really praying that God would heal you of some sort of physical ailment or some sickness. And if you've ever gotten a no from God, that's hard to deal with. And I don't know about you, but if you were to ask me, Paul, what keeps you from praying for healing? What keeps you from asking God to heal somebody you love or to heal yourself? And if I'm honest with you, I would say the thing that stops me from praying for healing is the fear of getting a no. And if I'm honest with you, I, I would say that I have been disappointed by God in relation to praying for healing. I had this wonderful uh, widow in my church in Southern California, just a wonderful, awesome gal. Older gal, she was actually a part of the underground church in China when she was young. I mean, incredible stories of how she persevered during that time. And she would always sit like right in the front row during the sermon time and take all these just diligent notes. And she would come up afterward and she'd ask me questions about different things. She just loved the Bible. She loved the Lord. And she just was always eager to learn more. And so she invited my wife and I for dinner at her house. And as we're visiting her, she shows me to this room where she studies the Bible. And in this room, there was this machine. And the machine was used to magnify any text that was put into the machine. So you'd lay it there and it would magnify, I don't know how many times, but it's pretty significant. And then it would display on a screen. And she told me, she said, Pastor, because she always called me Pastor. I don't know if she thought that was my first name, uh, but I'm Paul, Pastor, they kind of go together. So she said, Pastor, here's how I read the Bible. She shows it to me. And I asked her, I said, how long does it take you 
to work through kind of the process of reading the Bible. She says, it takes me about an hour to read one chapter of the Bible because she is legally blind. So she needed this magnifying machine in order to read the text of Scripture. Imagine it taking you an hour to read one chapter, but she would do it. Diligently, she would do it. So we were working through this series on miracles. And during this time, I felt compelled as we were walking through the scriptures on miracles, I wanted to give the church an opportunity to respond to the message, to respond to what we were working through. And so I invited the congregation to come forward and pray for healing, healing either for themselves or for somebody else. And so I'm standing right there in front of the stage facing the center aisle, and she comes down the center aisle. She walks right up to me. And she says, Pastor, I want to pray for my eyes that I could see. And I was like, oh, man. So I remember praying for her and just, just diligently, fervently praying, God, would you heal her? Because I know what she's going to do with her eyes. She's going to read your word more. And I prayed and I prayed and I continued to pray. And even beyond that moment, I prayed and God didn't heal her. And I was disappointed. And that's not the first time I've been disappointed. To be honest, that's not the last time I've been disappointed. And in that disappointment, I think at times that keeps me from praying for healing. That worked itself out in another situation. My father-in-law got really, really sick several years ago. He was in a medically induced coma for several weeks and was on a ventilator. And I talked to the doctor and the nursing staff, and they said, this is very severe. He is much more likely to die than to live. The odds of him surviving this are very, very small. And I remember being in the ICU room, and I was talking with my brother-in-law, and just very honest with him. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that God won't heal I'm afraid he won't step in and intervene. I said, you know, I do believe in miracles. I do believe in the miraculous. I do believe that God intervenes. I do believe that God answers our prayers. But if I'm honest, he doesn't do as many as I'd like him to do. Right? And I think if we're all honest, we would all say, I wish God would have done one more. Just one more. And then, of course, probably when he would have done that, we would have wanted one more again, right? And I know what I'm saying may not be all that impressive. But I have a value, and that value is to be honest over impressive. And I'm just going to be honest with you that it's true, that in my heart, I get afraid to pray for healing. Because I just don't want to hear no from God. So what I end up doing is I just don't ask. And it's hard to work through that balance of the presence of the miraculous and then the absence of the miraculous. And we see this actually play out in the scriptures. We're going to see this play out for the Apostle Paul as Luke records an account in his life. We see that Paul had this balance too. That there was definitely the presence of the miraculous. God would miraculously intervene and protect him. God would miraculously use uh, or give him the power to heal other people. He would miraculously answer Paul's prayers. But then we see on the other side, you see the absence of God's miraculous protection. You see the absence of intervention. You see the absence of healing power. And how do we deal with that balance? And as we 
try to follow Jesus in this world and experience the things in our life, we're going to have to struggle with this balance of presence and absence of the miraculous. But as we navigate through this balance, here's what I hope you're encouraged to do. And this is what the scriptures encourage me to do, and that is this. We need to persist in asking for healing and asking for the miraculous. Because yes, it's true, there's oftentimes the absence of the miraculous. But that does not mean there's never the presence of the miraculous. God showed up for my father-in-law. I remember praying just kneeling in his ICU room, just in tears and asking God, show up, man, show up, intervene, save, turn this thing around. And he did. In fact, my father-in-law and mother-in-law are going to be visiting us this week during spring break. So exciting, right? It's exciting. But even then, my perspective sometimes is a little jaded. I still get a little fearful, even though I can't deny the presence of the miraculous in my life. But I still struggle with the absence of the miraculous in my life sometimes. So here's what I want to do. I want to journey into the life of Paul in a specific situation in Acts chapter 28. And here's what I think we're going to learn as we think about this balance between presence and absence. If you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. This is the big idea for this morning. The big idea is this. Hearing no is better than never asking. Hearing no, which is hard is better than never asking because God does say yes sometimes. And even if that yes feels like a smaller amount of time than the no's, if you never ask, you may never hear yes. And I don't want to leave some healing on the shelf. Hearing no is better than never asking. Go to Acts chapter 28. Let's journey through this very interesting account that Paul has on this island, the island of Malta. This is Acts chapter 28, verse 1. And again, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see this kind of balance of the presence of the miraculous and the absence of the miraculous. We're going to see it first when it comes to the protection that God provides. God miraculously intervenes in the life of Paul to protect him. Look at verse 1. And after we were brought safely through... We then learned that the island was called Malta, and the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So they're in Portland. (laughs) See, Paul even traveled there. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to on his hand. And when the Navy people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. What an interesting account. Now, if you jump back to verse 1, verse 1 starts this way. And after we were brought safely through, even before we get to this situation with a snake, there are two things that have happened, significant things that have happened that Paul has been rescued from. First was there was a shipwreck or there was a storm. 
And then that storm almost led them to be capsized and for the crew that Paul was on, the ship that Paul was on, for everybody to die. But they survived the storm. Then they were shipwrecked, but they made it to shore. So you already have these kind of two accounts. There's a storm, there's a shipwreck, and God intervened. Now God had told Paul prior to the storm, or I think actually during the storm, that, that through an angel of God, that he would make it. Hey, I know it's a storm right now, but you're going to make it. So he survives the storm, he survives the shipwreck, and then he gets by, bit by a snake. And God shows up again. Now, it's interesting that Paul doesn't pray. We see no account of him praying over being bitten. He gets bit and kind of shakes it off. And the natives of the area say, we know that snake. We know that viper. That's a poisonous snake. And they're just kind of waiting. They're like, ooh, look, karma got him, right? He must be a murderer, must be a bad guy. Fortunes have turned. Justice is after him. That's what they're kind of thinking. And Paul doesn't die. Now, you could say, well, yeah, well, maybe they were mistaken. That's true. But the way the account is written, I think what Luke is doing, he's giving expertise over to the native people. They are the ones who have appraised the situation and said, that's a poisonous stake. Surely he should die. And their reaction at the very end shows us just how abnormal this was. Because when he doesn't die, what do they do immediately after that? They don't think, wow, he must have got lucky. No, they don't say, well, it probably wasn't a poisonous snake. What is it, red after blue, then something, or right after? I don't know. I don't know anything about snakes. Okay, but there's like a certain rhyme, and I'm dyslexic, so I'm going to get bit by one of those things, and I'm probably going to die. But there's like an ordering of the color, right? But they don't do that. They realize he's not dying, and they say, well, time to worship. Right? That's a pretty dramatic like, turn. Clearly, something significant has happened in their mind. God has miraculously intervened, and he's protected Paul from three things, just in a couple of verses, from a storm, from a shipwreck, and from a snake. God miraculously intervenes for Paul. But does he always protect him? No, he doesn't. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, God didn't protect him from being stoned by a crowd in Lystra. Look at this in Acts chapter 14. It says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They thought they completed their task. They hurled stones at him until he was unconscious, probably bloodied, and apparently maybe not even breathing. And they dragged him out of the city. So think about that, just that idea They didn't just look at him like, oh, okay. They actually grabbed him and drug him out of the city. So he looked lifeless as they are bringing him out of the city. They wanted the job to get done. And they just kind of throw him out like a piece of garbage. So where is God there? I mean, a remarkable presence of God's miraculous intervention, his protection of Paul. Saves him from a storm, a shipwreck, and a snake, but not from getting stoned by a, cloud, a crowd in Lystra. Do you see the balance there? Now, Paul would never shake his fist at God and said, God is not with me, just because God's protection wasn't always on him. He saw that God was with him, even in those moments. 
that there were times where God permitted Paul to suffer the consequences of living in a fallen and broken world, and he didn't intervene. And Paul had to struggle with that balance. There is the presence of God's miraculous intervention, but sometimes there's also the absence of that intervention. We see the same thing when it comes to healing power, not only to just protection, but also the healing power that God grants Paul. Look at the same situ- or similar situation on the same island. Go back to Acts chapter 28. We're in verse 7 now. So he protects him. The people want to worship him as a god. Paul, of course, is going to reject that worship just like he did at Lystra in Acts chapter 14. This isn't the first time that Paul was mistaken as a god. I can't tell you how many times that happens to me. <laughs> I actually can. Zero times. (laughs) Zero times. Okay, but look at here. It's verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. Now here's what's interesting about this. We actually may know what that fever is. Just based on those two symptoms and that island, there's actually a a disease historically on the island of Malta called Malta fever. It's caused by a microbe in the goat's milk of that island. Very interesting. And we actually have historical accounts of that Malta fever. And it's a very severe sickness. And we have some accounts where the fever would last for months. So can you imagine that? Having a fever for months. So this man is severely ill. And Paul comes, lays his hand on him, prays for him. Look at verse 9. And when this had taken place, oh sorry, oh sorry, verse 8. Putting his hands on him, healed him. Then verse 9. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when they were about, we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. It's remarkable how Luke just puts this account together. So you have Paul who heals for one man's father, probably the Roman official of the island, or at least a, a chief landowner, a very affluent man. He's hospitaled with them. He, he, he realizes there's a family connection. There's some problems going on. So he goes to dad. He heals dad. And then news gets out, which often happens when you post your healings on Instagram and YouTube and all those things. It just goes viral on the island. Then it says that everybody comes. Now notice how Luke writes this account. Because the way he writes it sounds like everybody who came got healed. There was no exception. It just says they brought all their, those who had diseases and they were cured. Talk about a remarkable event. Does God heal? Yes. Does God heal through Paul? Yes. Did God answer his prayer for healing? Yes. Did God show up? Yes. We can't deny the presence of the miraculous there. Paul couldn't. Now, does that mean... That God always healed through Paul. That everybody around him always experienced miraculous healing. No. A couple examples of this. The first one being Timothy. 
If you don't know anything about the New Testament and the letters that were written, we have some uh, um, correspondence between Paul and Timothy. And we know that Paul loved Timothy. Timothy was younger and Paul brought him on this journey of ministry. He was kind of like an apprentice, if you will. But there was much more of a significant relationship than just kind of like a working relationship. He loved this kid. He called him his own son. And look what he writes to his son. His son in the faith. This is in 1 Timothy. He writes this to Timothy. He says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, I know this sounds like a crazy little side note. Like, why is this important? Why is the apostle telling him to drink wine? He's telling him to drink wine because he has these ailments, these physical sufferings. He says, there's something going on with your stomach. So we know this is not just like a spiritual thing. This is a physical thing and your frequent ailments. So it sounds like there's repeated pattern of sickness in Timothy's life. So if Paul always received healing, if Paul was always able, just like at Malta, to cure everybody within proximity to him, if his prayers were always answered, then why would he not intervene for Timothy? Why would he not pray for him? Why would he not lay hands on him? Why would he not just tell Timothy, hey, I'll be there in a second and I'll heal you and take care of you? Right? This, is a very, this is a very informative passage for us as to why we should even seek out medical intervention. Paul clearly thinks that there are other things involved and other things we should seek out than just prayer. Surely Paul does promote prayer, absolutely. But he also thinks there's reasons to pursue medicine. Now in the first century world, what they have? They didn't have necessarily penicillin. They had a little wine. And that was going to be the way that Timothy could deal with his physical ailments. We see another example of this, a different name, Trophimus. This is in 2 Timothy it says, Eridus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Now, again, another interesting one. Now, if you're, again, familiar with the writings of Paul, what Paul will often do when he gets to the end of his letter, right, right here we're in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, when he gets to the end of his letters, he does like these final greetings. He kind of gives... Uh, an update on how people are doing and he's saying hey you greet this person you greet this person hey I love what this guy's doing over here so he kind of says see these are my fellow ministry workers and that's probably what he's doing right here well one of these workers Trophimus he says I left him who was ill okay so if Paul always was able to heal and his prayers for healing were always answered, and everybody, just like at Malta, was always cured, then why did he leave this guy? There's two examples right there. Not everybody within Paul's proximity received healing. In fact, not even Paul himself would receive healing when he asked for it. This is in 2 Corinthians Paul is going to show a prayer for himself. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul kind of reveals to us his personal prayer. Look what he says. He says, so, keep, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. I think the best way to understand that is this is a physical ailment that is in my body. It is in my flesh. There's a torment in my body. 
a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So Paul sees, I mean, a pretty expansive view here. He's not just seeing a physical ailment, but he's seeing a torment, an instrument, and a tool of Satan against him. So there's a spiritual and physical dynamic, right? We can't dissect and separate the two. They're overlaying to each other. There's the spiritual and there is the physical. And Paul is saying this physical element I have has a spiritual dimension to it, that the demonic forces that are set against my ministry are afflicting me with this torment, which gives me every reason to think, why would God not answer the prayer to heal him? If this is the agenda of the demonic, look at how God responds. A messenger of Satan harassed me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But, meaning anticipate I'm going to get a no. I prayed for this, but here's what happened. Not what I wanted. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. and My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, just imagine if you're Paul. Just imagine if you had that experience at Malta. That all these sick people, just waves and waves of people. I don't know what the population of Malta is in the first century uh, uh, Palestine or first century world. I don't know what it is. But I bet it's pretty significant. I think if we estimated the amount of people who probably came to Paul at about 100 or so, we'd probably under the number that happened. So God is clearly using you. He has saved you from a storm, a shipwreck, and a snake bite. And then you've healed a man of what was probably Malta fever. And then all these other people started coming. And you just kept healing and healing and healing and healing and healing and healing. Hundreds of probably healings Paul's been a part of. And then he becomes weak. He gets a physical ailment. And so he prays. Now imagine how different your posture of prayer would be if you had the experience of the miraculous like Paul did. And imagine how much more maybe expectant you would pray, but how much more disappointed would you be if that prayer wasn't answered? He prays, it says three times, continuously, God, will you take this away? Will you take this away? I see demons behind this. This is not just a a disease. It is more than a disease. It's a demonic attack. God, will you show up? God, will you heal? I've seen you do it. I saw you do it on the island. I've seen you do it throughout my ministry. Would you heal me? And God says, no. No, I won't. Would you not be disappointed? Man, I'd be disappointed. Significantly disappointed. You can heal everybody else, but you won't heal me. It's tough, isn't it? To see the presence of the miraculous, and yet at the same time, to see the absence of the miraculous. Now, apparently it didn't stop Paul from praying, though. That tension that he felt, There are times that God intervened and God protected him. And there are times that he did not. There are times that God showed up and healed through him in a significant way. And there are times when he did not. And how did Paul deal with this balance? 
It didn't stop him from praying, right, like it often does for me. I just don't want to hear God say no, so I'm just not going to pray. No, he persisted in prayer. And I think he persisted in prayer because he knew that hearing a no is better than not asking. Because what if God says yes? What if God says yes? Do I want to miss out on a yes? No. Can we miss out on a yes? We can. James, the brother of Jesus, who writes very practically, if you're ever looking for a very practical book in the Bible to read, read the book of James. Look at this in James chapter 4. I love just how practical and kind of in-your-face James is. I guess when you're the brother of Jesus, it kind of gives you a sense of confidence, like when you're telling people stuff. Like you could just be that up front. You're like, you know who my big brother is? Yeah. Son of God. Right? You ever do that? Like I'm the youngest, right? Now my sister is older than me. My sister's a fighter though. Like she'll mess you up. So I'd be like, do you want, you want to meet my sister? Right? But imagine if you're, you know, your older brother put the stars in the sky. I feel like I'm calling that out. Like if, if, it's, if, if it's getting crazy in, in, in Hebrew school, it'd be like, Jesus, right? Call down fire, right? That's the guy you want. This is terrible. I don't know where this is going. You're bringing in Jesus into a fight. Let's just move on. Okay, James chapter 4. Look at how upfront James is. Very clear. You do not have, this is in context of prayer, you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. Such simple logic here. Notice what James does not say. James does not say, you do not have because God said no. He doesn't say that. Now, can that be true? Absolutely, that can be true. We know that from 2 Corinthians. Paul told us. He asked and God said no. But James kind of has like this third category over here. He says, there are some things that God is waiting to give you. Now, God does not need your prayers to do things. If God wants to do something, he'll do it. Good example would be when God protected Paul from the viper bite. Did Paul pray? No. Did God protect? Yes. God didn't need that invitation. God can do whatever he wants to. He doesn't need your prayers. But oftentimes, according to James, he will wait for them because he wants you to ask. And if you don't ask, then you miss out. There are some healings. According to James chapter 4, verse 2, there are some healings that don't happen because we don't ask. Now, there's some healings that don't happen because God says no. There's some healings that don't happen because God says not yet. Wait, because at the end of the story, I'm taking away all disease, and I'm taking away death, and I'm taking away all the tears. So in a sense, all of our prayers for justice, for comfort, and for cure are all, in a sense, answered at the end of the book, at the end of our story, when he wipes away every tear from our eye and he takes away every disease. In the new creation, in the new heavens and new earth, at that moment, right, they're all answered with a yes. If you are in Christ, you get all of that. No more death, no more disease, no more broken relationships. But there are moments when God intervenes before that moment. And there are some times where God is just waiting for you to ask. And if you don't ask, he doesn't move. Not that he can't or he's unable. It's because he wants you to ask for it. You have not because you ask not. And it's hard. 
to overcome the disappointment. It's hard to hear no. I get that. If that's where you're at, friend, you're in good company. Because that's often where I'm at. But I cannot deny the presence of the miraculous in my life. I can't. I can think of several situations where I prayed for God, would you just show up? Would you show up? And God has shown up in a way that's hard to explain. Where it was more likely that death was going to happen. More likely that cancer was going to be present. More likely that the person would remain barren. It was more likely for all those outcomes to happen. And then I prayed or I prayed with a group of people and God showed up. God brought people from death. Not a resurrection moment, but on that way toward death and God stopped it and turned it around. Or moments where we prayed, we prayed for a scan to be completely, completely uh, clear of anything. Not that God would just minimize cancer, but that he would take it completely away. And God has shown up and done that. Does he done that every time? No. But how many times do you need? How many times do I need? I realize that I set this expectation, this bar on God. And so in my mind, I think to myself, oh, you should do this many miraculous things. Well, who gave that quota to God? Not God didn't put that on himself. God told me, Paul, you ask. You ask and let me handle things. And it's hard to deal with that, but I wish you would do it more. Right? I struggle with the absence of the miraculous, but I cannot deny the presence of of the miraculous in my life. So I must persist in prayer and I must ask because I don't want to miss out. So here's what we're going to do. As a staff, as we were discussing this passage, as we were kind of working through what would the service look like, we realized how on earth can we cover texts like this and not give our congregation the opportunity to respond and ask God for healing. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take the advice of James, Jesus' brother, who very practically says, this is not just something for the apostles. This is not just something that was back there in the first century world, those who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Yes, I do think there was something significant about the work that God did to validate the message that they had in bringing us the New Testament. That's absolutely true. And I think they saw more miraculous. I do believe that's true. But that doesn't mean that we don't see it here and now. And that we should expect that we should. Because that's exactly how James, the brother of Jesus, instructs us to think. Look at the instruction he gives to a church. This is in the book of James again. We're going to jump to chapter 5. This is how James tells us to practically work out the asking for healing. So I want you to think as I walk through this passage, are you sick? Do you know somebody who's sick? Will you allow us? To pray for you or to pray for them? What if God wants to heal them? Now, does God need your prayer? No, he doesn't need it. Could he be waiting for your prayer, though? Does he want you to ask? Is it one of those moments where he wants to intervene through your prayer? But if you never ask, then he's not going to move in that direction. I hope you be bold today courageous today to pray maybe God shows up again he may not and we have to struggle with that we have to work through that 
But what if he does? What if he does? Hearing no is much better than never asking. So how do we ask? Here's how we ask. Look at James chapter 5, verse 13. James says this, Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Interesting what James says. Who should do the praying? He said the leaders in your church should do the praying. How should they do it? With oil. Not because oil was medicinal or magical or anything like that. It was a symbol, a symbol of setting people apart for the special attention of God. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that today. But look at how Paul expands, sorry, James expands the people. Even beyond elders, pastors. Look at what he says. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. Now, see how it's expanded? Paul said, bring it to the leaders of the church. And then he says, man, confess to everyone. Isn't that great how he just kind of opens that up? He says, yes, there's a time. Bring it to the elders. Bring it to the pastors. Do that. The leaders of the church. Great. But he doesn't say it to seclude everybody else. What does he say? Man, confess to everybody. To everyone. And pray and ask that you might be healed. So prayer for healing is not just for the leaders of the church. Yes, there is an emphasis on that. But it expands beyond that. And look at how he ends off his instruction verse 17 sorry i verse 16 therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working verse 17 elijah was a man with a nature like ours what does he say this guy you may not know this name but this is a prophet in the old testament a really a hero of the old testament and he saw some miraculous stuff done through prayer And he says right up front here, guys, we are just like him. He is like us. He is a man like us with a nature like ours. And God moved through his prayers so he can move through your prayers too. It says he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. The same God that Elijah prayed to, you can pray to. The same God who did miraculous things through that prophet, did miraculous things through the Apostle Paul, did miraculous things through the ministry of the disciples, is the same God you can pray to. Now, if you're asking me, Paul, what's the, what's the percentage rate? I really wish I could tell you that, man. I really wish I knew that number, but I don't. If you figure it out, let me know. But I don't know it. But here's what I cannot deny. God has showed up in some crazy ways for me in my life. In ways I cannot explain. Prayers I didn't think, if I'm absolutely honest. Prayers I didn't think he would answer, but I prayed them out of duty. And then God answered, and I was shocked. I don't know, as a pastor, you're like, that doesn't sound very impressive. Cool. Welcome to Sunrise Church. The people on this stage are not trying to impress you. We're just trying to be honest. The person most impressive is Jesus Christ. That's who we're impressed by. So I'm being honest with you and just saying, yeah, there are times where I've prayed thinking, I don't know if this will work, but I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to do this. 
And then God shows up and does it. So I'm going to invite you to do two things today. James talks about not only praying for healing, but confessing our sin. This is something I think we overlook at times when we pray for healing. That James seems to be saying that there might be two reasons you're sick. One is just the general consequence of living in a fallen world. But he also says there may be something spiritual behind your sickness. That there's a specific unconfessed sin in your life that's causing you to be sick. Now hear me. Hear me. Because I've said that before and been misunderstood. Hear what I'm saying. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that's always the case. That every time you, you're, you're, you're sick, it's because of a specific unconfessed sin. I'm not saying that. James doesn't say that. The New Testament wouldn't say that. But it does say that that may be the case. And that's why in James chapter 5, we are instructed as leaders to hear confession before we pray for healing. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to not only consider your health and the health of those around you, I want you to consider your holiness. I want you to consider your heart. Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Are you sick? Could that be why you're sick? We're going to have a time where our prayer team is going to be right here in the front row. During the next couple songs, I'm going to, or the next three songs, I'm going to leave it open to you. If you are sick and you need healing, or you know somebody who's sick and needs healing, as we sing these songs, I want you to come forward, sit on the front row, we've marked it out, and our prayer team and our pastors and staff will be here. Now again, I don't know how many of you will come, and that's okay, but here's what I encourage you to do. Don't be afraid of getting a no. What we should rather be afraid of is never asking and not getting that yes that we desire. Yes that will honor him. So in the front row right here during this time, you can come up at any time during the songs. Maybe you need a moment to think. When you come forward, here's what's going to happen. I just want you to know right up front what's going to happen. Is our leaders will be there and they'll say, are you praying? Well, they'll ask for your name first. And then they'll say, are you praying for yourself? Or are you praying for somebody else? And then they'll ask this question. They'll say, is there any unconfessed sin in your life that we need to handle first? Now, you may be thinking, well, Paul, I don't want to just like confess all my sin in front of this person. That's not what this is about. Because here's what you can do. If you say yes to that moment, yeah, there are some unconfessed sin in my life. You can confess it to that person if you feel led. But if you just want to pray with them in the silence of your own heart at that moment, they'll give you a time, just, just a time of silence. Where you can say, yes, I do have unconfessed sin. Okay, then you pray. Just in the silence of your heart, you pray. And then I'll pray for you for the healing. I don't think we're doing justice to the scriptures in James chapter 5 if we're not addressing that sin part first. That's how he instructs us. So I invite you, consider your holiness, consider your heart and your health today. And don't leave here without asking, without asking. Because you may get a yes. So church family, here's what I want to do. To set up this time, I want everybody to stand. Would you stand with me? Prayer team's going to be right here in the front row and our staff as well. The band's going to come on stage here in a moment. I'm just going to start this moment and set this aside. 
through prayer. And so here's what I ask you to do. We're not going to take communion. Normally you're used to communion at this time, but our response to the text is this. We're going to ask God to heal, either ourselves or those around us who need healing. So at any time during the song, here's what you can do. You can just stand and sing. If that's what you need to do, great. That's what you need to do. Just do that. If you feel like you need to come forward and have somebody pray for you, the Bible instructs us. God does not want you to bear the burden of illness on your own shoulders. He doesn't. He wants you to bring it to the church. That's what James instructed us to do. So my encouragement to you is just come. Come. Paul, what if a line forms? Ah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But don't leave here without asking for healing from a God who can come in and say yes. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you've shown up, man, just in big ways in my life. I still remember <laughs> some of those moments. If I'm honest, Lord, I just, I got to be honest. I remember praying. I remember praying on Wednesday. Praying the scan would have nothing in it. Man, I, I remember that day. It was so many years ago. I remember praying on a Wednesday. And then on a Friday, getting a report. Paul, you're not going to believe it. It's exactly like you prayed for. There's nothing there. Man, that was so cool. God, you've shown up in awesome ways. And Father, I know it's hard for me at times when I pray and it doesn't happen. But Father, I know that you hear me. I know that you love me. I pray, Father, that you would forgive me for putting some expectations on you that I shouldn't. I pray, Father, you deal with that heart of disappointment in me because that's not right. And I pray that you'd encourage me to always persist, to always ask because I know you love me because you have answered the greatest prayer of my heart. And that is that I would not have to fear death and the consequence for my sin. That you have given me eternity. Oh, Father, how can I be ungrateful? How can I shake my fist at you and say you haven't met my expectations when you gave me eternity in Christ Jesus? When you've forgiven my sins, when through the resurrection you've said, Paul, I will do that to you. Paul, your body will die, but one day it will rise again and you will be with me forever. Wow. That's the one I want answered, and that's the one you always answer. So, Father, I pray in that confidence I'd come to you with all the other things and say, would you heal? Would you show up for me and for those around me? Father, be with us as a church as we sing and as we worship. We just submit ourselves to you, Father. We're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we just ask you to show up in an awesome way. So, in Christ's name I pray. Amen.